0: Aloha, everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we will continue our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Lala Nuss, founder of Conscious Concepts. We will chat about the travel industry, tourism in Hawaii, ecotourism, and how Lala found her place and purpose through her travels and career so far. Mm-hmm. So, aloha, Lala. Aloha, my Good morning. Hi. So, um, a little bit, I always like to do an intro, so a little bit on Lala. And she was born and raised and educated in Hawaii with over 15 years of professional experience around the world in hospitality and travel industry for multinational cruise lines private aviation companies, and hotel chains within operations, sales, marketing, sustainability, and events. The past 10 years have been dedicated to recultivating root relationships and repurposing that international corporate experience to be of service to reshaping and redefining community resiliency from a place-based perspective a lot of words but she is going to dive into mm. that and explain that in depth for us so what is your full name where did Lala come from
1: hmm, good question um Lala my my sister actually nicknamed me that when I was young like oh okay when you were little um, but my full name is Laurian Baird Hokuli'i
0: Helfrich Nuss aka Lala Nuss Lala Nuss yes. there you go Okay, so um, background. I usually like to dive into there first. What is your background growing up, if that you'd want to share with your list our listeners? So yes, um, I was born and raised um,
1: on two islands. Um, I grew up on the coast of Honolulu, or better known as Ewa Beach. Um, and as well as Waikīkī in Hilo on Mokuo Keawe, or um, Hawaii Island. Um, and I educated in Hawaii as well, graduated from public schools, went to University of Hawaii Manoa, um, and then left the islands um, for about eight years. Um, I had grown up in the travel industry. My parents both worked for Pan American Airlines. So I was a Pan Am baby, lucky enough to um, travel the world before I could walk. Uh, so um, it was an interesting upbringing of this kind of micro macro lens of identity in a lot of ways. Um, being from Hawaii, having this as my pico, my center, um, and having the fortunate opportunity to see the world um, throughout my life was, I I guess, pivotal now that I can look back on it Um, as far as worldview that I carry and identity that I carry in many ways. Um, I didn't go to school to join the travel industry. Um, It happened kind of by default. Um, And basically, uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines had started there big contract with Hawaii back in 2003, and I had just graduated with my bachelor's and is kind of looked at what my next endeavors were and said, all right, if I'm going to continue school, it's going to be another two to four years and working full time. And um, um, I saw the, the ship sailing and I said, <laughs> I'm going to go. So I uh, joined Norwegian Cruise Line and got to travel Um, All of the Caribbean, Central America, the West Indies, got my Merchant Mariner's license in Piney Point, Maryland, Um, Mexico, Canada, and brought the ship back home to Hawaii Um, and kind of ended that tour there within the um, cruise line industry Uh, and still had this urge in my my belly to go and see things. Um, So I moved to the East Coast. Uh, and joined Marriott. So the hotel industry is um, what got me into the East Coast. I was in Boston and New York and Miami and Panama for a little bit, um, and eventually came back home after nine years and came back home um, with a new set of eyes. Um, I would say coming home was a humbling experience, Definitely humbled in me. And in many ways, um, looking back, I I definitely think I needed it. Um, You know, I had been out in the world, very successful, 40,000 feet, um, and thought, um, you know, time to come home. Kuleana was calling for family, you know, we have our family properties here. My father became ill, so that brought me home initially. And thought I was gonna come home, big bad local girl with a solid resume. And that was right after the 08, 09 crash.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I came home and any anyone in the visitor industry was either holding on to dear life for their jobs or were, were being let go left and right. And um, I had to figure out how to hustle and, and started reconnecting with friends and colleagues, um, mentors. Um, one of the biggest things is when I first came home, I saw something that I hadn't seen happening uh, when I left, and that was kind of this movement taking place, and it really had to do with um, aloha aina. It had to do with uh, our communities kind of reengaging with their culture in a whole other way that um, I maybe hadn't witnessed or been deeply immersed in growing up. I definitely grew up in the Hawaiian culture, but the access to language and practices wasn't normalized back then. And I saw it becoming more normalized within the Native Hawaiian community, but also within just our Kamaina. Um, the food movement was taking off. Ed Kenny, you know, Gooch from Peely Group, um, they were doing amazing things. Chinatown and the Arts District, that's when First Friday was like at its heightened um just excellence um, and activating a whole historical neighborhood that I remember growing up in as well, um, in downtown Honolulu. So came home, uh, definitely had to shift gears as far as where the opportunities were, and I started hustling. Um, My friends would hire me to work farmer's markets and run little events, and I basically was just automatically taking, like, what skill sets do I have that... I can basically survive off of and it pulled me into really place-based small business community food movement entities Um, and over the course of the first couple years of being home um, I did have a fortunate opportunity of uh, becoming a fellow at the East-West Center in Asia-Pacific Leadership Program and got to do a year-long immersive program there and that was an amazing pivotal point for me as I was I guess recalibrating myself back home, um, and got back into the tourism industry finally after a few years in Waikiki. Started to go and get my master's degree at UH Manoa in travel industry management, um, and found myself kind of living two worlds. You know, working sixty hours a week, and every you know moment I had was going and learning about new, innovative, or place-based programs and knowledge and and things that were happening in community. And so I had to basically make a decision after about probably three, four years of being home. You know, I left the tourism industry in Waikiki and then started working for nonprofits, got to work for Pacific Gateway Center, uh, which is a 40-year-old nonprofit that um, supports low income immigrant and refugee communities. And they actually own the building where Pig and the Lady is now. Oh, okay. I used to run that space there before it was Pig and the Lady. Um, they have certified kitchens and just really innovative. Um, and then finally jumped off the cliff, so to speak, about four years ago um, and said, you know, what I have and what I learned within the corporate world is a incredibly important and applicable to this place-based development and community community. Um, well-being that is wanting and is practicing to be emerging right um so i started conscious concepts and i frame it as a regenerative enterprise um really wanting to basically having to step into what my values were and holding myself accountable to it so the language i use the words we use you know and in. Hawaiian culture, words are incredibly powerful and important. They're intentional for every use. Um, so that is as far as me coming home and re, re-rooting to um, the value systems and the principles of place, which I definitely carried um, throughout my travels and being away from home. Um, but coming home, there was just a whole nother uh, kuleana affiliated with it. So um, since past four years has been um, an amazing adventure of learning how to be an entrepreneur um, and how to practically and functionally utilize my skill sets um, to place-based endeavors um, that I'm passionate about um, and that are appropriate to place and how can I contribute what I have in order to help, continue to uh, there's a lot of what I came home to realize was there's a lot of challenges, an increasingly amount of challenges. As much as I saw and it witnessed this um, elevating of community um, in many ways, there was also an increased amount of um, adversity and challenges taking place, mm-hmm. and that for me was like. I can't ignore it. Um, I tried for a little bit, but I, I couldn't. And so the intention behind providing project management, event production, and travel programming, um, which are the skill sets that I offer or the, the products or services that Conscious Concepts offers, within that is the foundational uh, compass of the how and why I, I do what I do. Um, the what is, you know, the services, but it's the how and why that I really hone in on, mm-hmm. um,
0: in in being a part of different projects. So place based, could you explain that to to our listeners when you say place based? Sure, because um, I think I think a lot of people born and raised here, if they have some type of um, cultural background, you know, they. They still have that rooted in them. But I think mm. as the generations evolve, um, things are getting lost. Mm. <laughs> and to bring people back to that is what, I mean, in a way you're doing, mm. you know, through a lot of things that you're working on. So maybe you could explain. Sure, face yeah. based
1: mm-hmm. um, For me, having come from Hawaii and the, the the values and cultures that I was raised with, really had everything to do with relationship to place and love for land and people foundation of it all. When I take away all the layers of the big words, really simple, simple foundational principles. Um, Growing up, whether that's growing up in the Paniola culture, starting riding horses at four and competing and and high school rodeo and things like that Um, down to, um, you know, getting into dance, and, and the arts, and that kind of component. There was always this foundational element of place that was part of why you did what you did. And when I, as as a world traveler at the same time, having gone to other places, um, and the way that I was taught to go to these other places, my parents, you know, my mom said, I will never forget this, she said, you know, Lorianne, there's two types of people in the world. She's like, those who go to malls and those who go to museums, Mm -hmm. and we are the latter, right? (laughs) So uh, the intention in which we went and explored the world was very much to go and learn about those places and people, right? And it was to really interconnect with them. So, And realizing that the diversity as well as as universality of this planet we live on um, is foundational to health and wellness, um, and well-being um, as an individual community, as well as our interconnectivity globally, right? And we're seeing that more and more, like how connected we are. Um, so place-based is doing work um, and and navigating from a place that is appropriate um, appropriate for um, the ecological, economical, spiritual, um, educational. Infrastructures or landscape of that place, um, and it will be unique depending on where you, are. where you are, right? And then similarly, have universal traits that are similar, right? Um, so that's what I would, would say place based is, and specifically for Hawaii, is very much rooted in the Native Hawaiian um, culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I myself, uh, I myself am not Kanaka Maoli, but I am third generation Kikiokaaina uh, and with that being raised, you know, I have cousins that are half Hawaiian, Native Hawaiian. So it's um, definitely part of um, how I navigate um, and where I learn from and where I, re- I go to as far as form of source for decisions that I make and checking in with myself and um, those types of things, whether
0: it's in business or in personal life. Yeah. So within our Hawaii Sustainable Initiatives, um, one of the sectors is culture and, you know, with environment and agriculture and energy and housing, you know, culture is one that the people of Hawaii said, no, we need to include this in this, this plan that we have, mm-hmm. you know, for 2050. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you in because you are integrating the culture, the arts, the history of Hawaii with a lot of the things that are happening here and, you know, our economy, you know, so that's why I want to dive into tourism mm-hmm. because it is one of our largest um, economic income, you know, for the state. And um, a lot of it can be abusive to the state, you know, in a way um, with the way things have been maybe more of like herding cows <laughs> in a lot of um, quote unquote tourist traps and things of that sort. And so I like to, you know, I traveled, my husband and I traveled Europe last November and we got to experience many different countries in one, you know, one month. And it was a very interesting experience to see um, there is that type of tourists, you know, as well. But there's also this other, Level of you know small group uh, educational based tourist um, opportunities. Mm. So um, to see that, I guess I'd love to hear more about what Hawaii is doing and the opportunities that we have and what's what's going on. So mm. let's, let's dive into um, I would say Hawaii tourism, the travel industry here, um, how it has been, and maybe where we hope to see it move towards. Yeah, let's go. Mm. <laughs> Where do we begin
1: with that one? Yeah. Um, So Hawaii's, quote unquote, tourism industry, right? When I started really diving into it, like for me, it's like, okay, I need to be able to understand um, the history of this sector of our economics, right? For taking it there. And what I started doing was going back to the early pre-contact, uh, pre-colonial contact um, infrastructure, governmental, economical, societal, right? And looking at when did tourism or travel really start here, uh, maybe officially, and looking at the era of King Kalakaua, um and his uh his campaigning towards the visitor industry um, was really profound um, in seeing how um, globally he was able to share the story of Hawaii as an incredibly uh, unique and important, and beautiful place and culture, um, and at the same time still have agency over the way that visitor uh, came to Hawaii, right? Um, So the I think what's very different from then and from today is um, that the, the root culture doesn't have agency, right, over the visitor industry today. And there's many reasons. So we fast forward a little bit and we look at our current form of tourism in Hawaii and it, it literally started at the same time in parallel with the militarization of Hawaii. So, and you can look at this patterning of of, of our current form of mainstream tourism in many other places, island places, colonized places around the world, and the pattern is the same, where militarization and political power um, was of interest of a place, and the other important engine was the economic um, abilities to be able to generate profit um, and resources from that place. And with islands like Hawaii and many others that are destination spots or the, you know, the, um, iconic, um, paradise, right? Yeah, right. Um, that was an Im- immense, uh, opportunity or a resource, um, for economic growth. So it's, I think I bring that up as an important, um, uh, part of the, Makeup of our current tourism industry um, to really understand it from that lens that um, the current form is definitely dominated by um, a colonized system at the end of the day, right? And being able to come to terms with that um, and see all of the innovative, beautiful ways that transformation can take place. Um, are my ties, you know, on, on Waikiki in a beach chair a bad thing? Absolutely not. You know, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I think we're coming to a point now where um, there are too many indicators that are showing the damage that's being done by the current model that we're using. And again, words are really powerful. So I start shifting the idea of tourism to travel and traveler. Because a tourist seems to be more, if you look up the two definitions, um, a traveler is much more aligned with the root culture's understanding of, of travel, right? Huaka'i is, you, you, it's a journey, but you always journey for a purpose, right? And there's these protocols and understandings of being a visitor and not a tourist when you come to a place and how um, you interact and why and the how you're interacting. Um, so those uh, very foundational, beautiful um, principles that i think for many years as far as exploration um, by many different peoples was the purpose um, has now been inundated by kind of the conquering or extractive you know we're exploring but we're extracting at the same time we're desecrating things at the same time and that whether it's science or economics we're seeing is starting to uh be very apparent that there's there's um go on forever yeah the, the infinite growth model, and us as islanders, we know that there's finite resources. And that's another, like, looking at place-based innovation, I think Hawaii is very, is, is playing and will continue to play an incredibly vital role on many different areas. Um, and I'm excited to see how um, our transformation in the travel industry, because if, you know, if Hawaii shifts its travel industry, the ripple effect will be global in many ways and there's many other um, destinations that have been practicing this and that I've been studying that are beautiful forms of how the visitor industry can be regenerative where it's going directly back into place-based initiatives whether it's cultural preservation and proliferation whether it's the arts sector um, whether it's the Uh, land preservation and conservation, whether it's even food security and um, economic growth in a way that is really, you can track that visitor dollar and see what percentage of it is staying and circulating in local economy. And right now we have out of the 17 point something billion dollars uh, from visitor spending, um, we're looking at maybe 10, 15% of that actually dropping and circulating into local economy. Um, And that, you know, I read in in the years of research that I've been doing within the visitor industry, um, I remember reading this quote, and it hit me really hard. Um, Basically, it said, um, the two highest economic drivers per square block um, in the nation, quote unquote, is Wall Street and Waikiki. And that really... When I read that, the immediate image I got was of, of an Alhapua system, right? If we're looking at that square block of Wall Street and Waikiki, and you're looking at the visitor dollar as the wealth coming in, the supposed wealth coming in, and then I take it into the context of a traditional understanding of what wealth is, which is vaivai, vai, right? by vai, fresh water, by wealth, well-being, and... We're looking at water from the top of the Ahupua system coming, just plenty of water coming down, right? Um, and how are we able to start diverting more of that vai into our patches and our places that need it most, right? So actually, how can this economic driver become a healing and a rehabilitation system? Um, and it still being something that's... Um, Engaged in by individuals that also want to come and learn about the culture and experience a luau and want to go shopping and want to go, um, you know, surfing and go on a sunset cruise, right? And that's where you look at the many different tiers of our visitor industry, right? Whether it's market segments or sectors within industry and saying, like, there is so much opportunity. And the beautiful thing is that trends in our economy are vital, right, to how we're navigating. And I think for the first time in a very long time, if not ever, since our current form of tourism has been implemented here over 100, 150 years ago, um, the trends are seeking and demanding more place-based, genuine, authentic experiences, services, and products, right, if we
0: take it into that economic context. And I think too, when you're looking at where we have evolved, as you know, in 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 our own economies as well, and I think in the very beginning, or even some smaller countries that you know they have tourism too, and to them they're just trying to make enough money to survive, mm-hmm. right? So they're going to sell whatever they're going to sell just to to make ends meet, so they can live. You know, in some places are like that. And here, I guess we are at a place now where we can step back and change that model, which we've been doing for so long. We can recreate a different way we want to do tourism, Mm -hmm. you know, and have more of a travel based concept and it be the norm because we we aren't a third world country trying to just survive at this point. And, you know, it's funny if we
1: if going to quote unquote third world countries and I go and look and say, who are the travel guides? Where are they staying? What are they eating? And what are they buying? And who are they interacting with? And In those third world countries, there's more money going directly to that local economy than there would be here. And I say that because those those quote unquote third world countries are still producing and making a lot of their own things. And, and selling those products there isn't this large corporatized multinational um, infrastructure that has a heavy layer on those countries necessarily mm-hmm, so when mm-hmm. you go and look at like to buy yeah you'll see the cheap Chinese trinkets sometimes in certain areas but it's still there's quite a bit of agency given to the people in the culture of the place mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. the ones that are the the, the the they have to make the tour guides right they're the ones starting the small companies and you know, weaving things to sell and um, sharing, you know, fishing traditions. Um, so, you know, and then we look at our tourism in Hawaii and, you know, what what are the services, products and experiences that we're offering here, right? How much of that really is being sourced from and Hawaii, then yeah. giving back to the local community? And I'm not just talking about Native Hawaiian, I'm talking about, you know, Kamaina in general. Um, and that's an interesting point concept as well in my endeavors to continue to learn um, and intersect with um be in relationship with community and continue to uh, practice what I'm hoping to see more of or I'm, I'm so incredibly awed by um, one of these manavahini that I know um, Mahina Duarte who was a, a co-founder of Vi, Vi Collective, um, an educator and transitioning into entrepreneurship, you know, I've been, we and her have been bouncing uh, concepts and understanding off of each other over the past couple of years. I came to her for some advice. And the last thing I remember her telling me recently regarding like my questions in, in visitor industry, like looking at these principles of like protocols, like how do we really frame and facilitate um, a visitor understanding how to come to this place, right? And she said, well, instead of, you know, I think the bigger question is, instead of it, how is it to be a visitor to come to place? How is it to be a Kama'aina? What is a Kama'aina? So making sure that we're understanding, like, are we doing what we can do down here to facilitate that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much opportunity to do that more now. And I'm seeing um, positive, um, um, I'm seeing more indicators even within the mainstream industries um, that are shifting. For example, HTA Hawaii Tourism Authority. Um, you know, f- five years ago, the start, even the start of Naha, the Native Hawaiian Hospitality Association, when I was, that wasn't there when I was in the tourism industry um, way back when. You know, these are new entities. Um, having people like Kalani Ka'anana or Kainoa Danes within these leadership roles um, within HTA and OVB, the Oahu Visitors Bureau, um, really um, doing their part to um, infuse and cross-pollinate not only the culture um, from a experiential lens or an entertainment lens, which unfortunately has been kind of the Hawaiians' role in the visitor industry for a very long time. Um, but in leadership roles where decisions are being made, even financially or resource-wise, to really look at these concepts of, like, what is our kuleana as a visitor industry um, to facilitate the preservation and proliferation of what's needed here, what's appropriate to place. Um, So seeing more funding going towards environmental and cultural um, entities, there's a lot of money that's given out by HTA every year. Um, and I'm seeing the organizations that I find as profound models for what we can continue to help nourish and expand upon, um, receiving those resources. So that for me is in, is is inspiring and reassuring that okay, there is there are these forms of resources and wealth coming to much needed endeavors um, that are place
0: based and appropriate um, and so regenerative. Let's name some places, um, some options now that I guess are more of on the ecotourism or perhaps sustainable tourism platforms that we have. I mean, I know mm-hmm. just some of them are just farm tours and mm-hmm. things of that, you know, it's starting to grow and how that's becoming additional income for a lot of these businesses that maybe never reached out to the visitor industry before, right? Mm-hmm. Could you yeah. elaborate on some, some innovative ideas that have been coming down and have been becoming successful, yes?
1: Sure. Um, just as um, the trends are shifting for more place-based, you know, genuine, authentic experiences, products and services, so too, I think for the first time in a long time, is the community ready to engage. Um, With the visitor industry in another way, the local and root community has gotten ourselves into certain positions now of um, wellness or rehabilitation or um, prosperity, Uh, specifically with the last 40, 50 years of the the Renaissance, I contributed a lot of the strength within our local communities from that saving of a community right saving of a whole culture Um, and with that in the preservation of that now the proliferation and expansiveness of it there's organizations that initially um, started with and still have the mission and goals of say restoring fish ponds Mm -hmm. or um, providing nourishing healthy food for its community um, rehabilitating um, community members, providing them much-needed human services um, that um, otherwise they wouldn't have had. Examples that come to mind that I've had the fortunate opportunity to work with over the years are places like Kahumana Farms, mm-hmm. um, Ma'u Farms, um, Camp Palihua. Um, and, Camp Palihua? hmm
0: Camp Polyho is actually it used to be that's used to be Camp Timberland, right? Correct. I remember going there as well. Yeah. Um what are things that they're doing now? Do they have eco-tourism? Like what do they do up there? I don't know.
1: Yeah, so I mean, even there's a, the fish pond Malama area out on the North Shore that um, again the, the foundation and the value and the the missions of these places is to restore culture and people in place, right? Um and with that, as most of them are nonprofits. Um, are needing and seeking alternative forms of resource and revenue, revenue generation yeah. to continue on their mission. When I'm able to sit down and talk to some of these leaders within these organizations, and we, we talked about trajectory or strategy or vision for the next 20 years, a lot of them have said, you know, we're okay right now, but the trajectory in the next 15 to 20 years, we're really going to need to shift our current infrastructure. Um, and that's where, to me, regenerative economics, um, regenerative enterprises are kind of the new with a capital K way of doing things and really diversifying our forms of, of uh, resource um, uh, solicitation, as well as how are we how are we gaining? So looking at the grants, right, federal, state, private sector funding um more and more uh, the trends are leading towards funding being shifted away from anything to do with cultural arts or environment so that pool that was once there um is getting smaller and smaller meanwhile the needs of community are growing right so looking at our number one economic driver um next to the military in hawaii the visitor industry it's it's quite um relevant form of relationship to start um, figuring out how to maneuver. And this isn't something that's necessarily brand new. You know, there's been endeavors within ecotourism um, and agritourism um, organizations like this on on the neighbor islands. I think um, the agritourism organization is on Hawaii Island. And the ecotourism
0: organization, I want to
1: say, is um, headquartered in Kauai, if not Maui. Um, And they do work here. There's other organizations. And within the landscape of even the hospitality and the visitor industry, I mean, you have this huge ecosystem of ways that you can engage, right? Whether it's looking at food security, whether it's looking at wellness, right? Um, People come here from all over the world to find wellness, find restoration, Mm -hmm. right? Find retreat and recreation to rejuvenate themselves, whether that's on a level of mass tourism, which is, um, you know, very much service products experiences, very highly economically and monetarily exchanged. Um, more and more people are being like, that's cool, but God, I would love to go out to an organic farm and take a cruise around before we go to the beach, have lunch with my kids there at the little farm-to-table restaurant, right? Right. Go walk into the wash station and talk story with the farmers, right? Um, um, the healing aspect, I think, is another component. Uh, there's, I mean, the yoga retreats, wellness retreats, that sector or market segment of um, our visitor industry is actually quite huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something, another area that I can see the community being ready to engage in, in sharing the wellness, ancient wellness practices here, whether it's la whether it's lomi lomi, whether it's ho'oponopono, you know, the mind, body, um, and, and spiritual components of healing and wellness. Um, I think the trick is right now is, um, two sides wanting to meet each other and the current distribution of that isn't in sync. Um, so the challenges for that I see as how do you engage the visitor in that mass, mass industry that currently is wanting to do recreation and go skydiving or um, swim with the dolphins, right? And there's maybe not necessarily anything wrong with that. Um, the volume of it is starting to become a, a big concern, I think, all around our volume of our visitor industry, right? Like the 10 million mark, how mm-hmm. much is too much? What's, you know, what's our carrying capacity of an island? Um, And even that conversation, I've heard some interesting sides to it. Um, from one side was saying, it's not how many, it's how we manage it, mm-hmm. right? Which I, I personally or professionally would disagree with. Um, I think, the understanding that we are, we do have finite resources and there is a carrying capacity for islands or even island earth is real. Um, so, yes, part of it is managing it, but knowing like, okay, we can handle this much. Um, and that's what we need to start shifting towards. And it's interesting looking at the reports coming out, the trend as far as visitor dollar has gone up a little bit, but not as much as how many visitors are coming. So we're not looking at the quality of the visitor, we're looking at the quantity. They're spending less. They're spending less. So what we're needing to do is actually start getting really um, refined and intentional on who do we really want to attract here, right? Who are the visitors that are wanting deep, immersive, meaningful product services and experiences, that will spend more, that will stay longer and have less of an, of a negative Negative impact. impact, Yeah. Yeah. And I think that potential is there and I'm seeing both from the industry standpoint, as well as the community, um, pukas or sweet spots of, um, seeking how to figure out how to do that more and more. So, um, for me, my my agenda, if I have one in this lifetime or my kulean is to help um, transform our travel industry, Yeah. be a well, facilitator
0: of that. Um, we traveled, we jumped on a flight because it was $67 round trip to Norway, thanks to Southwest. Nice. Um, But we did that because we're like, oh, it's very inexpensive to fly now. So we did that and then... We bought the tickets right away, and then we were uh, sticker shocked, you know, with how expensive mm. Maui is to stay. It it just in a in a hotel or right? they they do have a pretty like standard rack rate there in comparison to like Oahu. Like Oahu, you can get into hotels. I mean, I don't want to say dirt cheap, but for very inexpensive yeah. costs, you know, and you could find flights to Hawaii on Oahu for very inexpensive so of course you will definitely get a wide range of people that come here and a lot of people that are now going to the neighbor islands are Mm -hmm. trying to get away from (laughs) um maybe the traditional oahu conventional waikiki yeah exactly so i see that movement but i also see that it's the price that it costs to to be there you know like you're gonna have to stay somewhere yeah so, and if not, then you're camping out. And if you're a camper, then you're more of a traveler. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you wanna... Going back to you the know, market segments,
1: you know, when you, we look at these, say, trends and where, where the people that can afford them are, they are actually in the higher end. The Four Seasons, the JWs, you know, the Moanalanis, um, they are seeking and have the money to spend on authentic experiences, right? Um, or or um, it's interesting how you know healthy locally grown food here costs more, right? Typically, if you go into, you want to get something that's locally made, whether it's fashion, jewelry, um, literature, um, you name it, if you really are able to find it, which is hard to do um, enough you just walk down Waikiki and see how many things are like locally made right Um, they are typically more expensive right Um, how do we start shifting that ability Um, and to me because I've seen and witnessed so many other places doing it in so many different ways like there's our, the, the sky is the limit on what we could really do here. I really think it is our conventional infrastructures and policies that are inhibiting us, not just within the visitor industry, I think everywhere mm-hmm. in other sectors well, that's inhibiting us to really um, shape shift the way we need to. That's being asked of us right now. Um, and I, I don't take that lightly. I, 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 um, within this idea of the visitor industry and transforming travel and those types of things, the the driving force behind that is because what I see coming down the pipeline is, um, is not going to be easy. Um, and how are we starting to get ready for that? Um, whether, you know, looking at the climate crisis and that really being a reality and us being an island. Um, so from, from the, see costs or expenses and management, like what kind of visitors are you bringing here? Um, you know, there is no, as much as, you know, there's, there's a thing called Hawaii Tourism Authority, right? And they jokingly internally say, yeah, uh, with no authority. Basically, the Hawaii Tourism Authority is within the department of DBED and they are a marketing and a revenue managing entity, right? They manage the funding going in and out, um, and the marketing of Hawaii, um, but they don't, um, there is no real entity like a, uh, in other countries where there are departments directly managing the visitor industry. Places like Aotearoa, for example, right? I look at their model, um, New Zealand, and there, their visitor industry, instead of under the Department of Economics, is under the Department of Environment, Right. Um, so they're the whole foundation in which they understand what the visitor industry relies on and how it's needed to have balance in that. Right. And this whole thing, in my opinion, the bigger picture is restoring balance. Right now we're getting more and more imbalanced and we're seeing the negative effects um, of our economy um, playing out within um, the degradation of land, Um the people of place not being able to afford it. Um, And those are things that I think have the potential, the visitor industry has a huge potential to really um, be a cutting edge and a leader globally. I'm saying like, we're standing in this, we're going to move towards it. Are you going to have the cheap flights? Are you going to have the cheap hotels? You know, that's, you know, we talk about Airbnb, for example. Right. And for me, I see it's uh, the model that, the pure model it was meant to be from when it started of, like, people being able to come and exchange with other people in an intimate way, sharing home, sharing space, sharing a neighborhood, sharing a community, sharing what they have, right? Yeah. And the commoditization of it has gotten so it, it exemplified and extreme. And this is kind of the situation in all forms, whether it's the visitor industry or Monacale. It's like this commodification, this continued need to generate the highest profit and potential, right, investment. And the Airbnb idea or homestays, which I've done around the world,
0: um, are beautiful beautiful models so i did i did airbnb in europe at every place that we stayed at um but it's definitely a different way to travel Mm -hmm. you know and it's definitely not for everybody but at the same time if you're doing it the way it's intended right then you do get a completely different experience than you would um versus maybe just renting out a home that you're going to party at and <laughs> trash at the end of the day, who knows how it goes, but mm-hmm. you know, which I know has been a, an issue here in Hawaii for a lot of people. So that, and then
1: just the outside investors, right? These foreign entities coming here and buying up homes and utilizing that as investment properties to make money. I get it. The system set up for perfectly you to, for, them for that, too. right? So, but is that really appropriate to people in place when we're talking about place-based and that where us as an Island where everything is magnified, um, we have the first inkling of what the damage can be done and what the opportunities are at the same time. Um, and that's why I say that Kauai is positioned at the forefront in so many ways. The ingredients are here. Um, and I think more and more of, of us are, are being able to interweave them collectively. Um, that makes sense. So it's really localizing. Gotta localize. There will be a continued global, um, system in place. Um, But the importance of relocalizing those efforts is vital to um, our wealth, whether it's economically, environmentally, socially, culturally. we got to relocalize. And that's, I think, the intention or the, uh, I would say, the principles in which we can use to navigate the visitor industry.
0: Yeah, and I think...
1: Prioritizing it.
0: I think people are used to what we have done and the income it does make. And I think a lot of people are afraid that if you were to change that, it would either cost more or not, you know, produce what it needs to produce for us to survive. Which, you know, I think with looking at things in a different perspective, putting, you know, moving things around and working together with Mm -hmm. everybody, I believe it's possible to figure out a plan that's going to be all inclusive of everybody's needs, you know, and and not have our whole economy and, or, you know, just the future of Hawaii's like environment, and everything just go down, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it's a collaboration of everybody yeah. in all the sectors and everything that everybody's doing. I mean, the culture-based part of it, even though it's its own sector in a sense is actually bled through all the other sectors, right? I mean, when you're talking about, you know, the travel industry here and the different ways to, you know, integrate culture into everything. You're integrating it into the food systems. You're integrating it into, you know, the environment and how you're taking care of it. You're integrating it into the energy side of things. I mean, there's a way to put um, culture in everything, you Mm -hmm. know. And that's that's
1: from the mentors and the community that I continue to learn from all the time. Um, That's the center of it. It's actually... As Bobby Kamara, a beloved of mine who's an ethnobotanist um, on Hawaii Island, says, you know, it's a recentering of culture in everything. Imagine if culture was the center or the compass in which we navigated economically, environmentally, um, socially, uh, healthcare industry, right? Um, and... The, Radical collaborations, as Manulani Meyer has, has said many times before. It's like, there is so many ways for us to understand. It's, it's, the abundance is there. Find, get really clear on what, what your kuliana, your gifts are. And, you know, find like minds and run because now are the times to do so. Um, and, you know, these ideas, even not getting too into the esoteric realm of things, but, looking at spirituality here um, and elsewhere, it's foundational to culture. And how can economics um, better be in relationship with that? Um, Those things that can't necessarily be seen or heard, but can definitely be felt. um, You know, that is something that's seemingly so polar opposite from our current um, industrialized form of economy, right? When we look traditionally the economy of, say, Hawaii, right? You had the Makahiki season, for example. We Right now, now we have GDP, right? We're looking at this really linear line of numbers that equate to a lot of more numbers and that we just were focused on that as far as the form of like, how wealthy are we? That's our measurements, our matrix are these lines and graphs. And going back to traditional ways of understanding what wealth is, is, you know, Makahi wasn't just to go play games and eat plenty of food. Literally, it was the demonstration and expression to the leaders that those chiefs and those individuals that were um, tasked with stewarding a certain area in community, that they were doing their job. And how did they do that? They expressed it through the games, how healthy their people were, and the abundance of food that was provided, how healthy their land was. So using those matrix like imagine if we could start implementing or cross-pollinating those forms of wealth measurements into our current form of GDP. Well, um, it's it's interesting because
0: just I guess within the United States and the whole concept of what, you know, wealth is to to people and generations, right? And it's like you're looking at the whole corporate ladder that age, you know, the baby boomers, they've work their way up to the top. And it's just interesting to see them because they did everything they could to get to where they are and make the money that they made. And I've been successful in, in, in power and finances and things of that sort. But then at the same time, they're still trying to figure out, you know, their purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're still either still working or they're trying to continue on this legacy or they're trying to pass down something now or create something now or travel and do all the things they never got to do that gives them more of you know a purpose you know and it's like you know some of them it's their grandkids some of them it's a legacy that they've created but at the end of the day it's it's that relationships it's the you know the things that you you can't get from all this money and all this power, you know, and it's, I think people are starting to see that their kids see that, you know, no, their kids are travel. growing, right. are, are growing up with this, this family that, that was disconnected because yeah. of how much they were pushing so hard for their family. Cause that's what they learned from their past generation, you know? And now it's like, I feel it's at that time where everybody's coming to f- trying to find this balance or trying to find this purpose. There's more to life than, you know, than this, you know, and that's where we're seeing why when they are going to a place like Hawaii and they're wanting to travel and they're wanting to rejuvenate and relax and everything like that, it's a different type of product or service that they're looking for now. You know, it's like it is that education piece, something they're not getting at home, you know, if they're always. Working on the grind, they're trying to get away from it, you know, Absolutely. trying to find something different. Absolutely, you know, and the
1: hustle is real,
0: and right? it's kind of more and more real
1: everywhere, right? Yeah. We know that very well in Hawaii. Like, we are amazingly resilient human beings. Uh, when I look around at my fellow community members, and you know, working two full-time jobs and taking care of the kids and being able to still really walk in their value systems and be aloha is just uh, the grace in which we can carry ourselves in this community is really, um, an important, I think, reflection that, um, attracts people from, you know, around the world to come here. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It's really, um, it, it's a level of respect and a, and then a piece within that you can see the difference, you know, and I'm glad that it's still rooted in a lot of people here, but, a, at the other end you also see it drifting. You, you know? see a
1: lot of people around the world seeking somehow to connect. And mm-hmm. and even though they may not know it or not, when you know they decide to go here or to another destination to get away, right? A lot of times it's the current mindset or understanding of vacation is to like get away from my life. Like, how do we start building a life where we don't want to have to get away from, yeah? Mm -hmm. And kind of to your point of what you're sharing generationally um, in general with, say, the baby boomers and their idea and definition of success um, and how that has starkly been shifting, right, in the past 30, 40 years of this unfolding taking place um, and how the visitor industry, you know, we have more agency than we think. Um, If, if one of our, if Hawaii is one of the best known brands in the world, I think it's like the top three next to Disney and Coca-Cola, the power that we have in that. um, And I'm seeing again, this next generation, say my, you know, me as a Makua generation and below and the generations coming up, this really profound revaluing of place and self again, and, and it being, for so long that was oppressed yeah Mm -hmm. and so with this expansive uh wave of revaluing self rooted in place again reconnection to place and culture um the ripple effect that's happening um has a lot of potential um and at the same time there the current uh conventional system that where we've been stuck in for a while now um, that's driven by industrialization and infinite growth um, is trying to drive itself even quicker. Right. You're seeing it, in my opinion, starting to implode in on itself in certain ways because it's relevancy is starting to become less and less appropriate and I think. Yeah. I mean, people are like more and more are getting what the idea of success is today Whether it's the mansions, whether it's the millions, whether it's the title. Well, even the luxury
0: market, Mm. the, you know, affluent too, they've, they've had it all. You know, I mean, I, they want quality, Mm -hmm. you know, over quantity. They want something of good quality. Mm -hmm. Um, the brand not necessarily is becoming as important as the quality of that brand, right? And they're wanting, um, experience mm-hmm. something that things that you can't like mm-hmm. it's not easily paid for right but they will pay for whatever it costs to to get those things versus so many materialistic items at this point mm-hmm. or lavish and large homes and more like they would be they're spending their money different you know on level and it and it's um it's it's interesting to see in other countries as well um That right now, you know, climate change and all of this is, is, you know, we're in Hawaii and it's a sea level thing, but we don't have some of the issues that other people have and, you know, what the industrial cities have with their, their air, air quality, you know, like how bad it is to the point where I can't remember exactly what town or whatnot, but it was something like by 2050, if women are breathing this air, they won't be able to have babies you know, because of how bad the air quality is. Things like that to the affluent living in those, you know, big cities, um, they're wanting to retreat and come and buy and live or have an environment like Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And that this is an ideal, this is what they'll pay for. They'll pay for the environment, right? Because it's, it's it's a paradise it's clean it's it's you know balanced it's got all of this and and that's where there are a lot of these people are putting their money now which is yeah. it's interesting it's, yeah, it's really interesting to see the shift.
1: and how do we build how do we how do we build a life and a place that we don't have to run away from right so the idea of saying like well this house is screwed up i'm leaving and i have i have the means to do so and rightfully so, for the wellness and well-being of yourself, right? Um, and then still at the same time being mindful that where am I going? How am I impacting that place? So if you have wealthy leaving their desecrated, polluted areas, right, to more pristine places, what's happening is the, it's actually being a negative
0: effect to the people in place that are already there. Right. Yeah so well now they're trying to preserve and learn from us too right and they're trying to preserve what they do have mm. and and it's it's um it's just it's interesting because it's it is where they live I mean they may they're always probably going to have and live there but they're they're I think going elsewhere to seek you know, these safe havens, yeah. whether they are purchasing it themselves, or whether they're learning from, you know, what they can do to preserve their places. Sure. It's just really interesting to see the changes that are being made. And um, I think the key to a lot of this, which I also see now that you are working at the University of Hawaii Sustainable Scholars Program, mm-hmm. Um is education to the kiki, right? And and the younger generations. So mm-hmm. that that is the key to keep this legacy of sense of place and, and that's an going. interesting looking at the visitor
1: market segments, right? In the past few years, the influx or increase of educational groups wanting to come to Hawaii yep. to learn about this place. If we're looking at like what market segments do we want, do we want to and can we attract to Hawaii to shift this current infinite growth a little bit? We need to rebalance, right? Or like slow down the numbers. Many people are agreeing with that, at least for a little while. But how do we continue to maintain our, our economic viability, right? And looking at the regenerative relationship, reciprocal relationship, and the groups that I've been able to host in Hawaii, whether it's one day with a semester at sea or 10 days with different universities and educational groups, um, curating a seven to 10 days of experience that I am, or we are collectively creating that are conscious of all the different ways we can positively and negatively impact a place, right? And going into it, again, preparing and creating the framework of saying, this is how you're coming to visit this place giving background information. You know, my mom's traveled 5 million miles her life as a Pan Am flight attendant. And she always taught me that 80% of your travel should be or at least used to be done for preparation. You were preparing to go to a place. And if we look back to old, old times, yeah, 80% of the travel is like you guys are preparing, whether it's getting the food, building the boats, you know, like right. learning about the the stars and training for this travel or journey, and now contemporary or the, the the discovery era of the visitor expansiveness in the past seventy years, um, you know, you're you're preparing to go and learn about a place, and the last twenty percent is actually being able to get there and experience it. So how do we take these seemingly traditional old ways, quote unquote, and implement them into modern day um, infrastructure. I think that's incredibly important, whether we're talking about the visitor industry or others. It really is. We have almost like going back to what you were saying, we pretty much have almost every single type of materialistic element we could possibly want, right? We have, I mean, the evolution of humanity has been epic in our ability to create just um, revolutionary systems of man-made things, right? And
0: surprisingly, being in the Pacific, <laughs> small little islands that we are, we practically have access to so much of that, Exactly,
1: right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is
0: not the case for most people, or most like little small, small islands, and islands little, that yeah. are going through and work doing the same situation that we're going yeah. through. They don't have the same situation. It's just... We're just this massive city in a small little place. Yeah.
1: And so, what we have is the situation between probably the most, some of the most innovative, contemporary, modern day um, man made um, tools, infrastructures, and resources, as well as this ancient living, thriving, continually to expand um, indigenous or root culture, the value systems, right? the The Ike, the deeper knowledge and knowing of like, how do we manage things? How do we interact? How do we um, go into places? Um, and I think those elements, those value systems and principles and deep knowledge of place um, and relationship to place will be play an incredible vital role in the future of, of where we're going in humanity in general. But if we look at the visitor industry, definitely. Like, how do we create... Um, a native Hawaiian-owned hotel. And there's, I think there's two in, in Hawaii. One of them in Kona, or maybe two of them in Kona. I think Uncle Billy's. Maybe is locally owned, Hawaiian-owned. A few um, Airbnbs.
0: I'm just kidding.
1: Right? Okay. <laughs> A few Airbnbs. Um, but I think that's, that's where we're going and where we need to go. And, and how does the visitor industry help facilitate our mitigation um, of climate crisis with the hurricanes that are going to be increasing with the, the, um, sea level rise that's coming upon us. Like, how do we stop siloing these, two, you know, uh, quote unquote separate entities? Cause they're, they're hand in hand in how we're, um, finding solutions to continue to be able to bring visitors here in the way that we are. I mean, we look at Puerto Rico right now. Oh my gosh. Look what happened to them, you know. Um, as far as this past hurricane and their visitor industry and their economy. Um, so I think there is, we're on a precipice and I'm excited to see what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um, and if the visitor industry isn't being talked about in discussions of how, you know, our next 20, 30, 40 year plan is, um, then we are missing, we're missing something incredibly important. Um, and at the foundation of it, Um, our Native Hawaiian community needs to continue to be given more space, agency, resources, um, and and energy towards their endeavors. To me, it's like if we support and nourish that, that ripple effect is going to help facilitate everything else if we seemingly feel like we're separated from it
0: um, in all forms. Yeah. I mean, I think it does need to integrate much more than it is right now. I can't have two battling sides, you know, in one place. Yeah. And I think that's where our future will lie is is that there's got to come to a compromise, a place where we both agree that this is how we need to move forward with our future.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we are over time. I think you maxed out past Matt's now. <laughs> podcast. So um, I'm going to wrap things up real quick here. So thank you, Lala, for being here and um talking starting with us. And I just wanted to also say thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghi.com. Also follow us on Instagram, which is at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii. And like us on Facebook. Um, we also will have a list of a lot of her her contacts and people we've mentioned um, and businesses we've mentioned that they've worked with and all her contact information will also be on the notes. So stay tuned until next time. Mahalo and live smart.